0: know we're at home, uh, and they're not feeling well, and they got that crud, and I'm just thankful that we can call on the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that we're guaranteed to never get sick, but well, I'm going to tell you what, if you do, if you are, uh, you know, use wisdom, but also trust God. He's a healer, Amen. And so, uh, I just want to pray right now, Father, so many that are suffering in their bodies with this uh, respiratory sickness, and Lord, I know they're not feeling well at all, and Lord, there's uh, too many that I know of to even name, but Father, I just pray right now, Lord, we, we just pause for a moment and we acknowledge who you are. Lord, you're our Savior, and that's salvation in every sense of the word. And Father, we just pray right now for those that might be suffering in their bodies, we pray your healing, and we pray your peace, we pray your comfort over them. We pray, Father God, that you would just uh, restore their strength and restore their health. I pray, Lord God, that they would use wisdom, and and Lord, uh, that might mean going to a physician. But Lord, in whatever we do, however you choose to heal us, we know healing comes from you. And we look to you and we trust you, Lord, uh, for supernatural provision in all things in our lives. And we thank you that, Lord, you made a way for us to be able to call upon your name. You made a way for us to come boldly to the very throne of grace by the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for that blood that has opened a way for us. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you've given to your children to call upon you, Lord, in our time of need. And Lord, we thank you that you've told us not to be anxious, Lord, not to be fearful, but to be thankful in all things as we make our requests known to you. And we thank you, Lord, for the peace that passes understanding to guard our hearts, to guard our minds in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Does everybody have a message guide this morning? We're looking for a message guide. Everybody got one? No, if you need a message guide, raise your hand. We want to make sure that you get one. Raise your hand up real. there you go, and we want to make sure everybody gets a message guide. This is uh, part three in our series on uh, the celebration of advent, and uh, we hadn 't really made a big deal out of the Advent candles and the advent wreath there we 've never actually as a church acknowledged uh, or celebrated Advent before and As I was just doing some reading and studying leading up to Christmas, um, I I was just really intrigued about the whole concept and, you know, we are a, we're a non-denominational church and so uh, people say, oh, we're a non-traditional church. No, it's just that our traditions are non-traditional, if that makes sense to you. Everybody has a tradition. Yeah, now it's to the point that non denominational or interdenominational has become almost like its own, you know, we're our own movement. Uh, so, our, our plumb line is this word right here. Our traditions should be the traditions that have been passed down in the scripture, founded in the scripture, not something that uh, man or a movement created. In Advent, the word Advent, remember, means coming. It's a celebration of his coming. And Advent is the four weeks, the four weekends before Christmas. And Advent really prepares us. It's a time of preparation. We talked about this last weekend. It's a time of preparation. It prepares us uh, to come to the, to the cradle or come as we celebrate. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus but we can't rightly celebrate the birth of Jesus if we don't fully understand, comprehend why he came, why he was born. What that coming meant when he lay in that manger. What that first advent meant. It, we can't understand what that, mean, what that means if we don't understand what, what his second coming means. And the, the promise associated with all of those things. And so this third week of Advent is uh, specifically the week that we uh, acknowledge or we celebrate the joy of the Lord. Remember, it's hope, peace, joy, and love are, are the four main themes. And so this week we celebrate uh, his joy. And, and, and traditionally that is a different color candle. Remember I told you the, the original Christmas colors were not red and green. The original colors that signified Christmas were blue and uh, for for various reasons. Blue in the scripture is a color that signifies deity uh, on the veils that that were in the tent of meeting and in the temple, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place had this veil and embroidered on this veil were these cherubims. And and there were four colors found there. There was white, there was red, there was blue, and there was purple. And they all represented something. And we see in the four gospels, for instance, uh, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus, the king, the line of the tribe of Judah, uh, signified by the color purple, speaking of his royalty. We see in Mark, the suffering servant, signified by the color red, the, the blood of his suffering. And Luke, the physician, wrote that gospel, and in that gospel is revealing to us the God-man, Jesus Christ, who is a man. He became flesh and blood. He took on humanity. He didn't lay down his deity, but he picked up humanity. And we see in that gospel that Luke is proclaiming Jesus, the God-man, signified by the color white, the color that the saints will be a radian. In John's gospel, different from all the others, from the other three, we see John's gospel beginning with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we see that John's gospel is proclaiming throughout the deity of Jesus Christ, signified by the color blue. So, Advent is a celebration of His coming, not just His first coming, but His second coming. And remember we said there's no point in celebrating His birth, His first coming, if there's not going to be a return, a second coming. Amen? Amen. And so, today we're going to talk about joy in the face of disappointment. And we're going to be, ultimately, we'll get there in just a moment. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. We see that Advent is a season of expectation. Advent is a season of expectation. Now, you should live life with expectancy. You should have all kinds of expectations in your life. I believe people that live life without expectation... Um, are not healthy. They're not healthy emotionally. They're not healthy really in any sense of the word. And so there should be an expectation uh, of living life. In Christ, in our faith, we should have an expectancy. You can't separate faith and expectancy the famous verse in, in the, written by the prophet Isaiah, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That word wait there is a Hebrew word that paints a picture of someone waiting with their arms outstretched as if they are ready to receive something. It's a, it's a waiting, a faith filled with expectancy of what God has promised. So Advent is a season of expectation. We're to live our lives in faith-filled expectancy, knowing that our expectation is not always, though, without disappointment. You guys understand this, right? I mean, I could get up here and just present a one-sided picture of life and try to get you all hyped up and all excited. And, then, and, and try to convince you that you should never have any disappointment in life, but that's not reality. That's not the scripture that God has given to us. You know, I always say this to people who are critical of the Bible. I said, you know, if, if man was going to write a book to try to convince someone to believe in, in a God, there are a whole lot of things in this book I wouldn't have put in there. I mean, God has put the good, the bad, and the ugly all right here in this book. He, he hadn't withheld anything. He hadn't hid anything from us. And, and one thing we know from reading the Scriptures is that life... Life is filled with disappointment. It is. I mean, there are degrees of disappointment. I can remember being a kid. And then when I was a little boy, my favorite thing to play with were little green army men. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you guys a secret. I still have my whole collection of plastic army men. I mean, the vast majority of my uh, forces are allied forces, you know, American G.I. Joe. My dad was a World War II vet, and, uh, and so I had Germans and Japanese, and, but, but, man, I'd go out in my backyard. We had a big old backyard with lots of trees, and I, I would recreate the famous battles of World War II, the, the places I knew my dad had been. And I can remember going to the store, and every time I went to the store, you know, they had these little packages of army men. I'd beg my mom. You know, I'd see a package. and might have a tank in there or a jeep in there or a cannon in there. And I'm like, I'd beg her, please, mama, please, please buy me that package. You got plenty of army men. I, I, you know, I, I told someone the other day, I said, we were poor growing up and I didn't even know it. You know, <laughs> I didn't know we were poor when I was growing up, but we were. And so I, I, if I didn't get a package of army men, I just didn't understand why my mama was being so mean, you know, and wouldn't buy me a package of army men. Well, I left the store disappointed oftentimes. Now that's a pretty shallow example of disappointment. But there are, there are levels of disappointment, but it still stands that life is filled with disappointment. And I'm talking to you today about joy in the face of disappointment. Disappointment. If we're trusting God to answer our prayer, for instance, to heal our loved one or to get that new job or to get that promotion, or maybe you're praying that this person in your life is truly the one, uh, the one you've been hoping for, the one you've been praying for, the one you've been looking for, you, you understand that God may or may not answer our prayer in the way that we expect. I mean, any of us that have lived any length of time in this life understand. That reality that God does not always answer our prayer in the way that we expect. And that reality, though, listen, should never diminish our expectation. The fact that God does not always answer our prayer the way we expect should not diminish our expectation. Disappointment should never diminish our expectations, though it may cause us to reevaluate where we have placed our expectation and the reality there is that when we are brought to a place of reevaluating where we've placed our expectation it helps us to put them in the proper place amen so when our expectations end in disappointment how is it that they cannot how is it that our expectation cannot be diminished Or should not be diminished? When our expectations end in disappointment, how is it that they should not be diminished? And the answer to that question is in understanding that we must place our ultimate expectation, this is your second blank, in the glory of God. I want to say that again. I want you to think about this statement The answer to that question, if my expectations are not met, why should they not be diminished? And the answer to that question is understanding that we must place our ultimate expectation in the glory of God. Jesus in the garden prayed, If this cup can pass from me, Father... Please allow it to pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And very simply, what was Jesus praying there? Jesus was praying, Father, this is not about me. This is about you. This is not about my will. This is about your will. Ultimately, Lord, this is about your glory. And understand that when Jesus hung on that cross, most of his disciples watched from afar. And they could see no glory in that cross. Do you understand that, church? This is very important for us to understand. When when those Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders who mocked Jesus... And stirred the crowd up and got them to cry, crucify him. When they stood at the foot of the cross, mocking him, saying, why don't you come down? Why don't you save yourself if you're the king of the Jews? You saved others, why don't you save yourself? You've healed others, why don't you heal yourself? When they uttered those mocking comments to Jesus, they saw no glory in the cross. Yet, do you understand that that event in history, there are no more events that will be more glorious than Jesus Christ crucified. The coming glory of his return, the glory of the age that shall be the consummation of all things when the sons of God shall be revealed and all shall be made right, that glory is only possible because of the glory of the cross. But for the glory of the cross that did not appear glorious at all, we have no hope, we have no promise. But praise God for the glory of the cross that looked anything but glorious that day. I've said it before, we, we cannot, we will not allow an accurate depiction of what truly took place on that cross. You'll never see it in this world again. Because it's too horrendous, it's too disturbing. And it's horrendous and disturbing to us because, because it was It truly was a horrendous and disturbing event. But it's also that to us because we do not fully grasp the glory. The glory of that cross. And the glory of that crucified Savior. We don't fully grasp it. But just because we don't grasp it, just because we can't see it fully, just because we can't know it fully, comprehend it fully, does not mean that it was not fully glorious. Because it was. And it is. And so the answer to this question, how is it that my dashed expectations, my disappointment will not diminish my future expectations? The answer to that question is in this, our ultimate expectation must be placed squarely in the glory of God. Disappointment will come, but disappointment is not what we should come to expect. Did you hear that, church? Disappointment will come, but disappointment is not what we should come to expect, but we should expect his glory in all things, through all things, by all things. Amen? Joy in the face of disappointment. This is the week that we are celebrating, that we are looking at, in reminding ourselves of his joy, joy is a fruit. You guys know that, Galatians 5:22. "Fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Joy is a fruit, but it's not seasonal. <laughs> you know why you can eat apples all year round now? Because we can fly apples from New, Zeal- New Zealand and Australia. To be bought in HEB and Walmart. When they're growing peaches and apples on the other side of the world or in the, the, the bottom half of the world, we're not growing them up here because seasons change. Fruit comes forth in season, natural fruit does. Joy is a fruit, but it's not seasonal. Jesus said in John 15, 11, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. And what do you think he meant there? That my joy may remain in you. Well, I'll tell you, it's really deep. Are you ready? It means exactly what it says. <laughs> it means that his joy may remain in you. Well, well yeah, but uh, no, just stop right there. Jesus said, I'm telling you this, guys. I'm giving you joy, my joy, that it may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Now, in that one verse right there, we have my joy and your joy. Do you see that my joy, Jesus is speaking, do you see that his joy has become our joy? Look what he says. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. His joy in us is our joy. And it is to remain and it is to be full. That's why joy is not seasonal. Joy is not something that is to come and go with the meeting of our expectations or the level of our disappointment. Christ has given us his joy to remain in us so that our joy may be full, never lacking, but always fully abounding. Now, hang with me, because I know what some of you are thinking. We have joy even in the face of disappointment. Do you believe that? We can have joy even in the face of disappointment. Joy is not dependent on my expectations. It's not dependent on my circumstances. Now we oftentimes mistakenly believe that it is. And we we equate joy with things that we should not necessarily equate joy with. Sometimes it's very easy to understand joy, to feel joyful, if circumstances and situations are just right, if all of our expectations have gone the way we think they should. So we don't have a problem. With joy in those situations. But when they don't go the way we think they should, and our circumstances are such that they're not very joyful, or they're not very happy, or they're not very pleasant, or they're not very convenient, now joy becomes a little bit more of a challenge. But if we understand what joy is and what it is not, it, it really helps us. And so one of the most important things is to understand is that joy is not dependent on my expectations or my circumstances. Joy is not the emotional result of or reaction to the circumstances around us. You may be very sad, you may be devastated right now. But that doesn't exclude your joy. It doesn't change the reality of your feelings. But the reality of your feelings doesn't mean that joy is not there. That it's not your portion. That it has left you. Joy is the fruit of his spirit. And Jesus said, my joy I give to you. I speak these things that my joy may remain in you. Now remember, Jesus is, this is John 15, 11, when Jesus makes a statement. And Jesus is literally hours before his arrest. He's telling his disciples this, and they have no clue what's fixing to come down the pike and hit them right in the face and just almost give them the knockout blow. But Jesus knows. He knows exactly what's fixing to happen here. And he's telling them this. He knows that in just a few hours he's going to be arrested. He's going to be beat to a bloody pulp and ultimately hung on a cross. And he knows that every one of his disciples but one are going to be hiding, looking from afar, wondering what in the world has just happened to their world. And yet he's telling them, I'm telling you these things. I'm telling you that it's better that I go away. It's better that I send the Holy Spirit. It's better for you. It's profitable for you. This is going to happen Remember he said back in John 12, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be, it's time for the son of God to be lifted up. It's time for my crucifixion. Jesus knew exactly where he was going. He lay in that manger 33 years prior to that. And that was exactly why he was in that manger. So that he could be carried and, and, and put upon that cross. That's exactly why he came the first time. And he's telling his disciples who have no clue really what's fixing to happen. He's talking to them about joy. When he knows they're all just hours away from being totally and completely devastated. He's saying, I'm telling you these things. That my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. They couldn't even say that they didn't have any joy. All I have is his joy. No, he says that your joy may be full. I'm giving you my joy. It's going to become your joy. And I want it to be full. It is to remain. Joy. Joy is the fruit of his spirit in us. Go to Matthew chapter 11 now. This is really the text that we're going to be in. That was all just an introduction. Now, y'all are really worried now, aren't you? Man, that was a long introduction, Pastor Jeff. Matthew 11. Let's start in verse 1. We're going to read the first six verses. Matthew 11:1. Now, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now that's where we're going to start right now. And then we're going to move back up toward the top of this section of scripture. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, that very statement by Jesus alludes to a a possible scenario that, that Jesus was aware of. That very statement alluded to the possibility that John could take up an offense because of Jesus. And we need to ask the question, why would John be offended because of Jesus? Now you guys know John and Jesus were cousins, right? John the Baptist was born six months prior to Jesus and they were, they were cousins. The scripture doesn't tell us really uh, how much they played together as children or it do- doesn't really tell us any of that. We have a visit by Mary uh, to Elizabeth and, and, and they're both in the womb and we see that John knew Jesus walked into the room carried by the womb of Mary. And then the next encounter we see between Jesus and John is when John is baptizing. The next personal that's recorded in the scripture. We don't really have a lot recorded here. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Why would Jesus make that statement? John came, sent his disciples. He's in prison. John's in prison. He sends his disciples. Go ask Jesus, are you the one? Jesus does not directly. You see, Jesus. this is a pattern in Jesus' life. He doesn't directly answer a whole lot of questions. But he answers them. He answers them very powerfully. And the answers that Jesus gives to the questions that are asked him leave no doubt in our mind what he's declaring. The only way we could have doubt in our mind about what Jesus is declaring is if we don't know the scriptures. And Jesus said, going back to John 15, if my word abides in you, You are my disciples indeed. He talked about this reality that if you're my disciples, there should be an abiding in my word, an abiding of my word in you. In case you guys don't know, that doesn't happen because you put this Bible under your head while you watch TV. We don't get this by osmosis. The way the word is going to be hidden in our heart is we're going to put it there. I mean, God, by his grace, has come to live in us. He is the word. And now, because his spirit dwells in us, he's made it possible for us to know this word. And so, Jesus would always answer questions with the word of God because there was an assumption that he made. You Pharisees proclaim to be, you know, all that and all this. You, you proclaim to know the word so perfectly that you can tell everybody else how to live their lives. And so he would answer with the word. And do you know, contrary to what we might think, uh, they, they knew exactly what he was saying. That's one reason that they despised him so. Because the reality is they didn't really want God's Messiah. They wanted their own Messiah. They didn't want God's rule. They wanted the rule that they were going to determine and dictate. They had built an empire, and they didn't want anyone to come and topple it, Jesus Christ included. But Jesus was very, very firm in what he said. And so John's in prison, and he sends his guys, hey, are you the one? And Jesus doesn't directly answer it, but he answers it, and then he sends those disciples of John back, and he says, now tell this to John also. Tell him what you see. Tell him that you see the blind blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Why would Jesus make that last statement? Well, to answer that question, there are some things that we need to understand first, and we need to understand who Jesus was claimed to be, number one, by John, by the Scripture, who Jesus himself claimed to be. And we need to understand the question that John asked that initiated this whole conversation. So let's, let's just take these in, in kind of reverse order leading back to the question that John asked. We need to understand who John proclaimed Jesus to be. So, John, if you go to Matthew, hold your place. We're coming back to Matthew 11. But in Matthew 3, I mean, we were in Matthew 3 last week. Remember, John the Baptist is one of the Advent forerunners of Jesus. I mean, we were in Matthew chapter 3 last week. I'm sorry, go to Matthew 3. Matthew 3.11, John is baptizing at the Jordan. And he makes this statement, Matthew 3.11, Indeed, I baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He'll thoroughly clean out the threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? Jesus answered, permitted to be so. For it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized. And there was the sign of the dove descending upon Jesus. Now, go from there. And go to John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, we see... The same account recorded with more detail. John chapter 1 verse 29. Let's start there. Same, same scenario. Jesus, John's at the Jordan baptizing. Here comes Jesus. The next day, John 1, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We've heard that statement so many times that it really doesn't mean anything to us. But sometimes, we don't have time this morning, sometimes you need to read that scripture and really meditate on John the Baptist, that whole situation, that scenario, imagine being in that situation. Imagine being John and imagine saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Church, that is, that is to say that's a profound statement is an understatement. We just can't really comprehend what John was declaring, but he was declaring something by the Spirit of God. The Lamb of God who doesn't cover, doesn't temporarily atone for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not. He was before me. He was born after John physically, but yet John says he was before me. What are you talking about, John? Jesus six months younger than you. Don't you know Cousin Jesus is, is younger than you? John, no, you don't understand. Did you just hear who I said? He was. He is the Lamb of God slain who takes away the, uh, the sins of the world. The book of Revelation calls him the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. John says, "He, He was before me. I did not know him that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven like a dove. Go to verse 35. John goes on and it says in verse 35 again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the Lamb of God. Verse 34, he says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. That is John the Baptist. So we understand who John the Baptist has declared Jesus to be. He is the coming one. He is the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sins of the world. No man can do that. Only the Messiah can do that. He says to his disciples, behold, he is, I testify, he is the Son of God. Right there at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, there is no doubt in John's mind. John is speaking by the Spirit of God. He's proclaiming who Jesus is. Okay, you guys got that, right? He proclaimed Jesus to be the coming one, the Lamb of God, the very Son of God. All right? Well, what does the Scripture say about Jesus? And we go back to Matthew chapter 11 and answering John's question John was just looking for a simple, yes, I am the one. Be of good courage, John. I'm coming to get you out of jail any moment. No, that's not not what Jesus told him. Jesus quoted the prophets. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said, go tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor Have the gospel preached to them. Go to Isaiah chapter 29. Y'all didn't know y'all were going to have a Bible drill today, did you? Isaiah 29, verses 18 and 19. I wish we could just do all of Isaiah 29, but we don't have time. It's, it's It's a fascinating piece of scripture. Verses 18 and 19. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in Jeremiah. I need to be in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 29, 18 and 19. In that day, now that's important. We don't have time to go there either, but you need to think about What that qualifier is. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book. And the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Go to Isaiah 35. Now Jesus is not... Quoting chapter and verse. They didn't have chapter and verse back then. He's quoting the prophets though. And he knew that John would know what the prophets had declared. He would know what all the prophets had declared concerning the Messiah. Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. Here we go. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall hear. Jesus, are you the one? Go tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The poor Have the gospel preached to them. Go to Isaiah 61. Verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. We need to understand who and what the scripture proclaims about Jesus. The coming one, the Messiah, the Christ. And when John's disciples asked, are you the one? Jesus quoted the prophets. You go tell John what you see. When John's disciples got back to that jail and told John what Jesus had said, I promise you right now, church, there was no doubt in John's mind that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Messiah. There was no doubt in John's mind because John knew full well what the scriptures declared about the Messiah. So we, we know what John proclaimed about Jesus. We know what the scriptures proclaim about Jesus the Messiah, what, who he is and what he would do. Well, what about Jesus Himself? What did Jesus say about himself? Go to Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four. Now remember, I'm talking to you today about joy in the face of disappointment. Don't don't lose sight of this theme. Luke chapter four, let's start in verse seventeen. Jesus has been baptized by John at the River Jordan. Immediately following his baptism, the the scripture says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. Jesus has now returned from his wilderness temptation and he goes to Nazareth, the town he was raised. He went back and started right where he began his life. Where he was raised. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue that he went to every Sabbath growing up as a boy and as a man living in that city. And he goes into that synagogue. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, say today, today, today. That was some 2,000 years ago. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, understand this, church. Jesus didn't walk in and say, hey, uh, give me the book of Isaiah. I got something I want to say about myself there. Ah, that's not the way it worked. When Jesus walked into that synagogue on that Sabbath day, that was the reading that had been ordained to be read there. They, they had a, they had a, they're not like us. They knew exactly what reading was going to be read a year from now, a year from today. They can tell you what's going to be read in that synagogue. That's the way it was. So what happened was, God, who do you think developed that? Who do you think put all that in place? Not God did. <laughs> now, now, I think about this, church. This is, this is how awesome God is. Before the earth was created, before man was created, God in his infinite wisdom and in his infinite sovereignty ordained that on that very day, at that very time, his son would walk into that very synagogue and read that very scripture and be able to truthfully declare, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Not because he picked that scripture because it was convenient to what, Who he wanted to be. No, that's what God ordained because that's who he is. If you don't think God is not in control, you better think again. You better think again. He is absolutely in control. He has never lost control. Never. And he won't lose control. He will not. Go, and, and now here we are at Matthew 11. Let's go back to Matthew 11. Who does Jesus say that he is? Who does Jesus proclaim to be? You go tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead raised, the poor have the gospel. I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. Matter of fact, I'm the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets. I am, I am the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Do you see His glory, church? Can you behold His glory? He's not here physically, but can you see the glory of the Lord? Can you see the glory of the Lord in the minute details of your life? Can you see the glory of the Lord in your situation, in your circumstance, even though it may be in the face of disappointment? Can you see the glory of God? We've got to be able to see the glory of God. We must see the glory of God. And the fourth thing we need to understand To understand why Jesus said this, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. We need to understand John's question of Jesus. Now here's what it literally says in the Greek text. This is word for word, Greek to English, what what this question says. Are you the coming or another may we expect? Are you the coming? That's That's what the Greek text says. We put coming one, are you the one? We, we put those to help us understand, but what it literally says, are you the coming? And it's not a noun, it's a verb. Are you the coming? See, John knew. He knew what the prophets declared. He knew. Are you the coming, or should we expect another? And Jesus answered him very clearly. Why would John ask that question? Go back to, to Isaiah 61. Did you catch one of the promises that was declared there concerning the Messiah? Isaiah 61.1 contains specific promises concerning the Messiah. And one of the promises concerning the Messiah is in this verse, Isaiah 61.1. And it says, That when the Messiah comes, remember this is the verse Jesus read and he said, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And this is what this verse says. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. When John got his question answered, you know where he was? He was in prison. Now, you Bible scholars know what happened to John. Soon after that, he had his head served on a platter. to a little dancing girl, actually to her mother. She danced and the prize was the head of John the Baptist on a platter given to her mother. I bet that was some dinner party. Now let me ask you this question. If you had literally staked your life on the belief that your cousin was the Messiah... And one of the many promises that, that was given concerning him was that he would set the captives free and open the prison to those who were bound. Where do you think your expectation would be as you await the removal of your head? <laughs> your cousin's the Messiah. And one of the promises is that the Messiah is going to set the captives free and open the doors of the prison and let all those who are bound go free. Hey, boys, go uh, find Cousin Jesus and ask him if he's the one or whether, I, whether we should be looking for another about right now. Would the question arise in your mind, are you the coming one or do, we, do I look for another? John knew perfectly the promise of Isaiah 61. Now, before we go too far down the road, we really shouldn't go down. Don't assume that John's motive was purely selfish, because I, I happen to believe that it was not. I, I do believe John being a man, he would rather live than have his head taken off. I, you know, I think that's probably a fair assumption that we can make. And knowing the promise of the Messiah, I think it would be a fair question, are you the one... Are you going to come get me out of this prison? John knew very well that the captives and those bound were not, it wasn't just his literal, physical captivity. John understood what that scripture was speaking of. But I believe John also in his humanity was hoping, I know I would be, wouldn't you? That if my cousin was the Messiah and I had staked my life on it and I would seen my cousin the Messiah do what, what he has done, I would have a question, are you coming for me? Is that scripture going to be fulfilled literally for me, Jesus? I think there are a lot of other reasons why John asked this question. And I think John understood that borrowing... Barring the divine intervention of God, He He was not going to leave that prison alive. And I believe John wanted to know if he had done the Lord's will. He had lived and preached and pointed to Jesus. He decreased that Jesus may increase. If I don't ever get out of this prison, I want to know are you the one? Have I seen the Messiah with my own eyes? There's no doubt John believed that he had at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And there's some doubt creeping in here, maybe. So when our expectations have not been met, I want you to understand it doesn't necessarily mean that we've lost faith or that we doubt God. John hadn't lost faith. John wasn't doubting God. He was wondering if his expectation, not just of the Messiah, but but perhaps, can I expect to get out of this prison alive? And Jesus understood. I believe that's exactly why Jesus said, and tell John, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Because Jesus knew that John was going to die in that prison by having his head cut off. Jesus knew that he could get his cousin out of prison, but he would not get his cousin out of prison. Jesus could have saved John's physical life, but Jesus was not going to save John's physical life. It wasn't going to happen. It wasn't part of God's plan. God's plan was for John the Baptist to be beheaded in that prison. And Jesus said, John, <clears throat> I am the Messiah, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because I don't do everything you expect me to do, even though I'm more than capable of doing it. Are you getting where I'm coming, coming from, church? Are you hearing me? I'm talking to you about joy in the face of disappointment. God often chooses to work in ways that are not expected by us. Can we agree on that? God often chooses to work in ways that are not expected by us. No one expected Augustine Gomez to be in heaven right now. But he is. No one expected two towers to fall on 9-11 You didn't expect your car to not start this morning. I went to Conway's uh, mother's funeral last couple of weeks. What what was it? A week ago, Thursday. I'd never been to Jasper before. So I leave my house at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I get to Rockdale, and I realize I didn't have my phone with me. Now, I was tempted to go without my phone because I thought no, I won't have to worry about my phone ringing all day. But then I also thought, I've never been to Jasper before. What if I get out there in the middle of those piney woods and have a flat or a blowout, and I, I don't know where I am. Maybe I should have a phone with me. So I, I went all the way back to my house and got my phone. And as I'm turning around, I'm saying, Now, God, you know you could have reminded me to pick my phone up. I really, I'm having this conversation with God. Well, why would I forget my phone? And I said, you know, God knows. <clears throat> I may never know why I forgot my phone. It was kind of interesting, though, when I got to Bryan College Station, I was planning on going one way, and I just happened to see a sign that said Huntsville. And it wasn't the road I was going to take. And I said, oh, well, that's where I want to go is to Huntsville. And so I turned down this road. And I, man, I found a direct route right to Huntsville. I was going to go to Madisonville and then down to Huntsville. And as I'm about halfway to Huntsville, I hear on the radio, the Bryan College Station radio, that they've had some huge accident on Highway 21. They got traffic backed up for miles. And I thought that's the highway i would have been on now i might have missed the accident i don't know but i just said you know i don't know if i missed something but god knew i forgot my phone this morning he let me forget my phone and he let me drive 30 miles back one way so i could have my phone and maybe god had a purpose in that i don't know i just choose to believe he did God works in ways that we often do not expect. And when that happens, our disappointment is real, but it does not mean our faith is not real. When our loved ones go home to be with the Lord, our disappointment is real, but that doesn't mean our faith isn't real. You understand what I'm saying, church? Joy in the face of disappointment. You can have joy and disappointment simultaneously. Because joy is not an emotion. It transcends emotion. The fact that we may experience disappointment does not exclude the fact of his joy. We can know disappointment and still know joy. This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. If you think you're going to get through this life without disappointment, you better wake up. You're living a dream. It's not even a dream. It's a nightmare. You're in so much denial. It's horrendous to think that we could go through life without disappointment. But here's the hope and here's the promise. Jesus said you will have disappointment in this life. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You will have disappointment, but my joy is. I give to you that it may remain in you that your joy may be full. In the midst of my disappointment, no matter how deep or how bitter it may be, his joy remains and his joy is full. Don't look to the disappointment, look to the joy. Don't look at how your expectation was missed. Look at the glory of God. And if you can't see the glory of God, just know that God will be glorified in and through everything that happens in this life. He will. He is. Disappointment should never transcend our joy. Just the opposite. In the midst of disappointment, God's joy remains because His promise remains. His promise remains. The promise of his glory. God promised to be glorified. He is and he will be in everything, through everything. Jesus said, I'll leave you with this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Praise God, church. That's a promise that God has given to us. Great and precious. And it is real in Jesus Christ. It is real. Pray and hope for the best. Expect with the highest of expectation. God is great. There is not anything that's too difficult for him. But if God works in a way that you weren't expecting... If God chooses to not deliver you from that prison that you thought you were going to be delivered from, really it's okay. Amen. He knows. He knows best because we're not here for our glory, we're here for his glory. Hallelujah. But having said that, he allows us to be participants, partakers, very parts of him. Do you understand that? We are one with Him. His glory is our glory. And we are to find His joy, our joy in everything. Amen? And that's possible because of Him, because of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand. Joy in the face of disappointment Lord, we don't want to live our lives focused on disappointment. Quite the contrary, God. You told us to live our lives looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And that same writer in Hebrews, Lord, penned these words that you, Jesus, endured the suffering and the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before you. God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, Open the eyes of our spirit. Open our eyes of faith to see the joy that you saw. To know the joy that you have given to us in Christ. That that joy, the joy of the Lord, would be our strength even in the face, in the midst of great disappointment. Even when our expectations have been dashed. Lord, it just means... You got another way, a way we might not be able to see, but it's a way that is leading to manifesting your glory. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your word that is sure and eternal, for your promises that remain and will never, ever pass away unkept. We thank you for that, Father God. We thank you for the peace and the comfort of the Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, that you would open our eyes, teach us and illuminate the areas of darkness, dispel the darkness, God, and bring the light of truth to us, to walk in it, that you would be glorified and we would revel in that glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. Have a great day. Listen, if you're here... And you might have sickness in your body. You might have something going on and you would like prayer. Please come. We want to pray for you. If you don't have any prayer requests or any prayer needs, have a wonderful day. God bless you. And I hope to see you next Sunday. Amen. And we'll finish our series on Advent.